Larson's 113. <laughs> Who can quote it for me? Well, we have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. Okay. God has this. God tells us here what he's done. He, is, he has rescued us from this domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Domain of darkness. What does that mean? Blindly, blindly ignorant. ignorant. That darkness means blindly ignorant. And the domain is the world of free will. That's what that means. It's, it's, free, it's a world of free will. So we're in this world of free will, but we're blindly ignorant. But he's transferred us from that into the kingdom of the beloved son. So we've been spending a little while here as we've been going over the definition of the kingdom. Now we've been working on how do you live in this world of the kingdom. Now... Let's go back and let's, let's catch up here again. What is the definition of the kingdom? The biblical definition. A people willingly surrender to the reign of God and actively participate in a partnership with him. Now that's the biblical definition. And when I say biblical definition, that word kingdom, basileia in the Greek, that word meaning the reign of a king, you see how that reign is played out, what God is doing with that reign. And that's what he is doing. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. I want you to notice something. Way back there, just starting out, Israel's been out of Egypt for three months at this point in time. Three months they've been out of Egypt. So, you know, they just left that land for, they've been in there 430 years, and they just left, and they went to this beautiful desert. Right, beautiful. That's where they're at, on this desert. And they got to now learn... What is it? They've not been around God. They've been in this idolatrous, idolatrous, idolatrous. <laughs> yes, that word <laughs> for the last, you know, 430 years. And now as a people, as Israel, God is calling them out to him and they finally get to go out and see him. And look what he says he wants to do with them. Look here in 19 and verse six. And you shall be to me. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Revelation. Jump all the way over here to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. You see, that's been God's plan right there. That when he talked to Israel, he wanted to make them into a people of priests. So we see in Revelation 5.10, way at the end here of all of the life on this planet, we see that that's what God did. That's what it was. Now, Matthew 25, and we're going to look at 34. And we'll see why this is so important. Look at this. 34. This is Jesus speaking. Then the king will say to those on his right. Now, this is the time when he brings all the peoples from all over the world that are left. He brings them all together, brings them all in. He he brings everybody into this for a judgment. The throne of judgment. So he's got those who have died, those who are alive. Everybody's coming together for a judgment. And he says this to him. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What did? What is it that we're to inherit? Those favored by God. What are they inheriting? The kingdom. Oh, wait a minute. What are we inheriting? The kingdom. What are we willingly inheriting? surrender to the reign of God and actively participate in an intimate partnership with him. Yes. You see what we're inheriting? Not that word, that term, 
because that doesn't convey to us what that inheritance really is. Just having that word is kind of like, you know, you've got a will and you've got it's in paper form and you don't know what it is and don't know what that thing is really all about until they finally go and sit down and start reading it to you. And then you start going, oh, 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 wow, oh, look, look. Well, see, the definition is what puts substance to that word. So what are we inheriting? We're inheriting a world that is a, where a people, the people in that world are surrendered to his rule and actively participate in an intimate partnership with him. That's been the plan of God from day one. When did he design this? When was this planned? When was this all set in motion? What's it say here? Foundation of the world. Now, I brought this thing out um, just for a little look at something because I just want to show you a couple things. I use this when I'm teaching um, my, my first book and taking you through. That's what it's all about. But I want to show you something here. The kingdom prepared. God, this is where God started. You're the foundation of the world. He starts with a kingdom. That was his plan. <clears throat> For years and years as a Christian, I never even thought about that. I never saw that. It never even dawned on me. I didn't know that. I didn't think of that. Typically, we would look at it and think, well, the... The world here is God's plan. It's not. It's, it's the kingdom world is what it's all about. The world that's full of people who have surrendered to him and have this intimate partnership with him. That's what he's, his whole purpose is, is that world. That world. That's the place. That's what he wants. That relationship. That, he says, be prepared. That. And, and that word prepared means... It's taken from a, the oriental custom of when a king was going to go somewhere. Let's say you're going to go from here to Riverside. So you're the king, and you, you know you want to make sure you're going to get there. So you then get a little entourage of people, and you send them out ahead of you. And say, well, I'm going to leave Tuesday, so Monday you go, and you make sure that road is perfect, so uh, it's prepared, so that I can make sure I get where I'm going. That's what that word is. That's where it came from. And God then set in motion everything that he needed to do so that we can, that kingdom will actually take place and nothing will prevent it. That's been his plan since day one. Look at, look at, uh, go to 2 Peter 1. Look at verse 11. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. You see, this eternal kingdom is what the one that never ends, the one that will always be the same, it will never change, it will always be there. That's been what God's plan has been about since day one. Now this is really, really, really crucial to catch this. Because I before I ever said anything here, before we started these, if I was to sit down and hand you a piece of paper and have everybody do this, I've done this. And it doesn't produce too much. And I'll say, can you write down for me what the plan of God is? And then I'm usually looking at nothing but blank stairs. <laughs> and because that's, I mean, we just don't know that. It's not something we typically have ever had to verbalize or form in our brains. And, you know, we kind of just exist through this thing. But what is the plan of God? Well, we've, we can see in these verses, the plan of God is his kingdom. The plan of God is this intimate partnership that he wants to have with his people. And so that, everything that was going to take to get us there was prepared before we even built the world, before we started the world. That's where we were going. So then that's pretty important because then why are we here? Why here 
comments, we will do things and say, well, to glorify God. I hate that. Do you know why? Because it doesn't mean anything to us. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that look like? You just say, to glorify God. Oh, that's beautiful. That's, you know, that's, that's cool. But it doesn't mean anything to us. If it doesn't mean anything to us, then what does it do for us? You see, so we need to understand that. Why we're here, it's very, very, very obvious. In that math, in, in, and you saw in Matthew 25, 34, he's got a whole group of people on his right, and he's got a whole people on their left, a bunch of people on his left. And the people on the right are inheriting the kingdom. The people on the left, guess what they're inheriting? Hell. They're going off to hell. And, and hell was never created for them. It's created for the devil and his angels. But there's only two places, eternal places, that are going to be left when this world is done. So what is this world really all about? Anybody got any ideas? Who's going to the kingdom? There it is. The whole purpose of this is God's plan is about taking us to this kingdom. But who's he going to take there? He could create a whole world full of people that are going to be in the kingdom. But it's not what he chose to do. He chose to build a world, and this world is going to be all built around one word. Faith. Faith. They, the people who are going to go there, it's going to be all wrapped up in the world of faith. Their world, and that's what's going to be determining who's going to go there. That faith is going to be so much of what's going to be the, who the people are going to go there. That's what's going to determine it. So then that becomes a pretty important word. And, and again, another really important concept that we need to understand. I'm hoping when we get done here, we should get a good look at that. So anyway, we're going here. Now, God has all these things planned out that are going to take us here. I want you to turn over to Matthew 24 now. So why are you really on this planet? To determine if you're going to the kingdom. To determine. Are you one of those who's going to go? Yeah. Okay, we got it. And that's another aspect of this whole concept. That's perfect. That's going to be a great lead in in just a moment. Hang on to that because we're going to lead right into that. Okay, perfect. We're here to determine am I going to go to the kingdom or not? We probably better figure out who is going to the kingdom. Who are these blessed people in Matthew 25? And who is going to go there? So look at Matthew 24, 14. That's going to be following right into where we're going here with this. 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end shall come. Catch anything interesting about that? Anything jump out at you? Says this gospel of the kingdom. Gospel of the kingdom. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Typically, it didn't just say gospel. It didn't just say gospel. That's really fascinating. This is Jesus commending his disciples to go out into all the world, just as you're saying, and make disciples. But what is the message they're going to take to them? The gospel of the kingdom. Wow. Hmm. I remember the first time I read that, it just about floored me. I worked in prison ministry. I've, I've shared, just got on the Rose Bowl, shared whole parade and spent all night there sharing the gospel and all over the place sharing the gospel and just anywhere around family, friends, whatever, you know. I never even heard, never even saw, never even thought of the gospel of the kingdom. What's the word gospel mean? Good news. Good news. That's the Greek 
That's what the Greek word euangelion means. That's all it means. Good news. What is the gospel? How would most people say what is the gospel? Good news. Christ died, buried, and resurrected the third day. First Corinthians 15. Take a look at this. Let's start in verse 1. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, that's you and Gillian, which I preached to you, the good news, which I preached to you, which you also received, in which also you stand, in which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. What's he talking about that he delivered? The gospel. Exactly. Okay, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Typically, whenever I hear anybody quote that, they leave a phrase out of that, that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and resurrected on the third day. And there's a big chunk of that that we always leave out, according to the scriptures. Big big chunk right there and really 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 important because what he's saying is we have a tendency to only think in terms of facts when we're talking about the gospel the fact of Christ died for our sins why did he? what was all going on with that? what all happened with that? what was the purpose of that? what's all the whole plan? what is all that about? he was buried, he resurrected on the third day according to the scriptures what, do you, what scriptures do you think he's talking about? Old Testament. Exactly right. Wow. All that's listed in the Old Testament. Flip over to Acts chapter 28. Okay, so Paul's in Rome. He's been trying to get to Rome for quite a while. Um, and finally got sent there. And he wants, the whole purpose and the reason why he wants to go to Rome, is, is he knows he's dying there because he's always already been through Ephesus and told them, I'm heading out. That's it. You're never going to see me again. I'm going to Rome, and I ain't coming back. Of course, you know everybody was. Oh my gosh, they're distraught over hearing that. But so he's going. He's going there, and he wants to appeal to Caesar, to the authorities there, because he was a Roman. They didn't realize it. They thought he was a Jew, and they beat him. Romans beat him. You can't beat another Roman like that without a trial. They just beat him, which gave him then the free right to claim that his birthright and so he could go to Rome and appeal then so he could take the gospel there so that's his whole thinking is I don't want to die there but that's okay I'm going to go there and preach the gospel that's what he wanted to go do so what gospel message does he preach now we just saw that he preached Christ was died for our sins according to the scriptures was buried and resurrected on the third day according to the scriptures so what do you think he taught when he was in Rome let's take a look let's jump down in here uh, 23. When they had set a day for Paul, a day for his trial, okay, they had set that for him. He's going to be in there two years for that trial. Think we got a long time waiting for ours? These are two years waiting for it. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom, kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. How fascinating. And how was he doing that? From both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Wow. Flip back down to the end of it. Take a look at the first 30. 
and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Wow. Paul's gospel put together two things. What two things does he put together in his gospel? Yeah. In the kingdom of God. That is the good news according to Paul. Go back over to Acts chapter 8. Okay, look here at, this is Philip. And uh, let's jump into verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Well, that fit what Paul was saying, doesn't it? He's proclaiming Christ to them. That fits, doesn't it? Pretty good? Let's see what it meant. Let's jump down here, just drop just a little bit further down into verse 12. Now he's talking about the people here that he was preaching to. When they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. What did Philip preach? Christ and the kingdom. Put those two together when he preached. Why would he do that? Why would he bring in the kingdom when he's preaching about Christ? Why do you think he would do that? Why, when he was preaching the good news, would he bring the kingdom into it? Christ and what he did for us was how we were saved. But the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, is what we're saved to. Ah, my goodness. You see the plan of God? Understanding the plan of God is so helpful to understanding the gospel. You see what the gospel is? The gospel is all about the fulfillment of God's plan. That's what it's all about. The fulfillment of God's plan. God's plan was to take us all the way through here, all the way to the eternal kingdom. That's what he's doing. But we got a big problem that came about for us to be able to go to that kingdom and have that intimate partnership. There's no way any human being could have that kingdom experience. Not fallen as they are. There's no way we could have that. How does God, the holy God, have an intimate partnership with a transgressed, corrupted sinner? That doesn't mix. That doesn't work. That doesn't happen. Well, how in the world could that happen? Well, prepared back here at the beginning, before any of this even took place, he had created and, and he made all these things and put them in motion. All these things would happen. For example, see this, the Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, harvest, all these pink ones, the trumpets, the Day of Atonement, tabernacles. Where's that from? That's right. Ooh, the Holy Convocation is right there in the, in the Old Testament dealing with the tabernacle. You know what the tabernacle is called most of the time in the Old Testament? The law. The tabernacle was called the law. What was the purpose of the law? Galatians 3.24. Let's go there. Galatians 3.24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. There's that word. Our tutor. You know what that word tutor is? 
Take you by the hand. Okay. Take you by the hand. For further instruction. That's what that's what the word tutor means. It's, it actually means to take you by the hand and lead you somewhere for further instructions. Where is it leading us? <coughs> what do you think the further instruction he's going to give? Look at Luke 4.43. Luke 4.43. So Jesus has been going around. He's been healing, 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 healing. been doing just amazing miracles, which is, you know, quite the thing. If you're around there, he's healing everything. Everyone. Everybody. You're not bringing people to him and he goes, oh man, I can't heal that one. It says he healed all diseases. Everything they brought to him. Did not matter. He healed them all. Just just like that. He's healing them. Well now, if he's in your city and all of a sudden he's getting ready to leave, what are you going to do? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold, hold, hold on. Hey, we Stick around a little longer, would you? Stick, stay with us. Stay with us. Forget them over there. Stay with us. Hang around here with us. Please be here with us. And that's what they were doing. They didn't want him to leave. They wanted him to stay here. Look at his response to him. Verse 43. And he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Why did Jesus come? Wow. To give further instructions about the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? So you see what Jesus was doing. He says he came. He was sent by God to teach all about the kingdom. Now, we read what Paul said, the gospel, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Absolutely, he did. But you see what he was teaching all along? All about the kingdom. All about the kingdom. We'll go over here, Matthew 28. Okay, let's jump in here, verse 18. Um, 17 disciples when they saw him they worshipped him but some were doubtful and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. What did Jesus teach them all about? The kingdom of God. All about the kingdom. So what is disciple making? He's teaching people about the kingdom. How to live in the kingdom. How to live underneath that rule of the king. Because it's foreign to us. It doesn't match how we how we think. It doesn't we don't we don't live in that world properly and easily and naturally. We just don't do that. Teaching them what I taught you, because I was teaching you all about the kingdom. And that's what he says to us. And then he sends them out in Matthew twenty four, fourteen to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. Now, when it says the good news of the kingdom, what does that include? Well we know one part of it that it includes very easily. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried and resurrected in the third day, according to the scriptures. That's pretty clear. That's going to be part of that good news message. But again, it's part of the, these teaching from the Old Testament. Can, can, can any of you, do you think you could do it? Preach the gospel that Christ was going to die for the sins of the world? 
from the Old Testament. They was buried, and he would resurrect on the third day according to the Old Testament. Paul didn't have any problem doing it. It's only scriptures he had. He could teach it right from there. Here's one of the things that I found that I, I think is a really a, it's frustrating to me. Okay, as a Christian, um, it was very frustrating. And is that that is this that the Old Testament pretty well has disappeared from us. We just don't know it. We don't know hardly anything about it. And it's just kind of gone. And, and, and Paul could just sit down with people and teach, you know, for hours at end, all about those three, three things from the Old Testament. Just explain, talk about it, go through it. Well, that's what this is all about, um, is, is he's, he's addressing it. For example, the tabernacle. The Passover. What's the Passover all about? Does anybody know what First Corinthians 5, 7 says? Anybody know that? Yeah, got it. Christ, our Passover. Our Passover lamb. You see, you see what that was? This, the whole tabernacle was a picture of everything God is doing. Here's the Passover, Christ being crucified, the unleavened bread. We so often think of the unleavened bread as no sin. That's not how it was established when they did this back in Exodus. He tells them in Exodus, this is to show you my power. Because you don't have time to get out of here and let your, let your buns rise. That's <laughs> what so he tells them. Your buns couldn't rise. We're getting out of here so quick, they don't have time. They got no leaven in them. They got time for that to work. And he always never want them to forget it. Always remember. And, and so that celebration went on. It started on the Passover and went all the way through for eight days till the following Sabbath. Started on one and went all the way to the, the eighth day. That unleavened bread, because he never wanted them to forget the fact of the power of God. It took that power to deliver them. That's what it took. Now, typically, we think of leaven as representing sin. That's a problem. You know why? Because in Matthew 7 or Matthew 13, it says the kingdom is like leaven. Leaven. <laughs> kingdom is like sin. Whoops, we got something wrong out of place here. So what is leaven? It's yeast. And what does yeast do when you put it in bread? When you put it in dough? And how does it do that? How does it do that? It permeates every cell in there. It permeates it and changes it to another form. And it rises. The kingdom is like leaven. What's that mean? That's the whole plan. You see, the kingdom of God, because the kingdom, take a look at this. Let's take a look at this one. Mark 1, 14. Now, after John, who's John? What John are they talking about, do you think here? John the Baptist. Now, after John had been taken into custody. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now it's called the gospel of God. Well, I wonder what that gospel looks like. Let's take a look. And saying, here it is. We get to hear him preach it. The gospel of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What's the gospel of God? It's all about the kingdom. And it's all about something really special here. The kingdom of God is at hand. What's that mean? 
close enough to touch? Yeah, it's close enough that it can touch it. See, when I say the kingdom of God is at hand, it's that close. It's that close. Now look what he says about it. He says, uh, then he says, repent and believe in the gospel. What was the gospel that he just said? Kingdom of God. And how was it at hand and close enough to touch? He was standing yeah, it's right there. Jesus is the kingdom of God. He is the authority, the power, the righteousness, and the sovereignty of God. And he's standing right there. Whenever God reigns, those four attributes are always involved. His sovereignty, his righteousness, his authority, and his power. And he says, right here. Here it is, standing right here. Look at Luke 17. And now we're going to stick around in one verse for a little while. Luke 17. So he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Well, now we're going to get another little look at that kingdom. Let's jump down into verse 20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, that's a good question. He answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Oh, I love that word observed. It means, in the Greek, it means ocular evidence. <laughs> love that. See, this is ocular evidence. That's ocular evidence. I can see it. I can see it right there. I can see it with these eyes. Okay, I can see it real easy. Ocular evidence. And the kingdom's not coming with ocular evidence. Keep going. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Whoa. Where was that kingdom of God in their midst? It was Jesus. It was Jesus standing right here. And you can't even see it. <laughs> you know why you couldn't see it? It's blindly ignorant, yes. But see, it was hidden behind, you know this... Back there at the tabernacle, okay, we got the tabernacle, you got the Ark of the Covenant was in there. It was behind this curtain. It was back in a place called the Holy of Holies. You know what that curtain was according to Hebrews chapter 9? It represented the flesh of Jesus. It represented the flesh of Jesus. It was hiding, hiding that kingdom. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see that sovereign, righteous authority and power of God standing there. Jesus is telling them all the time. Standing right here in front of you. Right here in front of you guys. Right here. In fact, he even told him, he says, look, because they had just cast out a demon. He says, if you see me casting out demons over Luke eleven twenty, you need me casting out demons by the finger of God. <laughs> you know, by the finger of God, then you know the kingdom is standing right here in your midst. Because <laughs> it was him. It was him. He is the kingdom of God. He is that. So now, so now what does it say? What did it say over in in uh, Mark? We left it there real quick. Come over here. What did it say to Mark? To Mark say about the kingdom? He says the kingdom is here in your midst, close close at hand. What then did he tell them they were to do? Repent and believe. The word repent. So often we think of it as repent from your sins. The word repent in the Greek simply means a complete change. 
You know, you're going in that direction, you're going that direction. And most all the time, very few times is it not that, it changed the way you think. You need a totally different way of thinking. And what was he telling them? They needed a totally different mindset on it, a total different way of thinking. What was he talking about? Kingdom. The kingdom. Because who could have ever, you were a Jew, going through all the Old Testament, looking at everything, who could have ever thought all of that sovereignty, that righteousness of God, that, that authority of God, that power of God, could be contained in a man? Wow. They forgot to read Isaiah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, but see, that's why they needed to change the way they think. Repent. And then he says, once you change the way you think and understand who is the kingdom of God, who is that kingdom, that, that rule of God is Christ. And then put this together when they say, wow, but you remember back in Exodus, he says he's making a kingdom a priest? And yet, this is the kingdom? Wow. You know, that should have caused so many questions that Jesus could have sat down for the next month trying to answer all the questions that people should have had. But nobody did. Nobody did. They just kept on reading. Oh, we don't do that, though, do we? We don't, we don't read those verses and, and, and ignore them and keep on going. No, no, we don't do that. <laughs> oh, I hate that that I do that. Terrible. But, so now we see... It's in your midst. You know what that word midst also can mean? It's translated by the context. It can also mean within. Within. This time it's translated. The translator did a great job. It's standing there in your midst. But lo or woe, they did not know. It wouldn't be too long. And the kingdom now would be within. Because Jesus said, I'm going to send the exact copy of me back to you in my, as the Holy Spirit. And guess what the Holy Spirit is? Me. Exactly me. It's part of the Trinity. He's sending the kingdom of God to come live inside. Now it would be within them. Okay, last one over here before we get settled. Uh, let's go to John 18. Jesus is talking to Pilate. And he says, and G, um, let's jump up, take 35 to start with. Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Um, your own nation, yeah, and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. The word realm is different from the word world. The world is like, look around you right now. That's the world. That's what that word cosmos means. It's, it's this world that you and I live in. The kingdom is not of this world. But then he says, and it's not of this realm. Now he's talking about, now this kingdom, the realm is, would mean everything else that you know, it's not of that either. <laughs> so, Pilate's sitting there, so then, what is... What does Pilate ask him then? What is truth? <laughs> He's confused. But the idiot stopped. If Pilate had any kind of brain at all, he should have then asked Jesus this question. What is your kingdom? What is your kingdom? Now we're going back over here to, to your question. Why is it so important? 
Now, here's what we want to do. What message does Jesus want us to take to the world? He said the gospel of the kingdom. What is that going to include? It's going to include the death of Christ according to the scriptures, the burial, the resurrection according to the scriptures. Why is that so important? So now I'm asking your question. Why is that so important? That's how we were transferred from the domain of darkness into his kingdom. Okay, did you hear? Say it again, girl. That's how we were transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God. See, he could not put you in that personal relationship with the king unless Christ did what first? Took care of what was standing between us and the kingdom. You see, that's what had to happen first. Remember we were reading 1 Corinthians 15? I delivered it unto you as of first importance. You know what that word? It's a single word, but it's translated as first importance. You know what that word means? It's the first of a series of things. Okay, it's the first of a series of things. So now, that's the first. What had to take place first? Christ had to die for our sins, and buried and resurrected. That had, to get, that had to take place first because we can't go to the kingdom. We can't enter any contact with that. Remember Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus? In verse 3 of John 3, he makes this, you know, he, Nicodemus comes to him and he's going to ask him all kinds of questions. I know you're, we know you're from God. There's no question about this. You can't do these things unless you're from God. Jesus doesn't say, hey, thanks. I'm glad you noticed. Yeah. What does he do? He immediately goes for the juggler right to the heart and says, unless you're born again, you will never... You'll never see the kingdom. Because see, the kingdom can't be seen by our regular eyes. We'll never see it that way. You've got to be born again to have this kingdom, to understand it and have it in you. That's why he said what he did. You had to have that. You had to be born again. That's what has to take place first for this kingdom to take place inside of you so you can live it. So that's the first part of that message. But now, let's go to Hebrews. We're going to look at verse 24. I love this passage. This is so cool. You got it? By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses was right up there at the top of the pecking order in Egypt, the wealthiest, richest, most powerful country in the world. And he's sitting on top right there. And he chose to walk away from that. Why in the world would he walk away from something like that? Well, let's keep reading. Let's see. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking forward to the reward. Does anybody find anything really interesting about what I just read? What they just said? A couple thousand years before Christ. But here's what's even more important. The Bible hadn't been written yet. So how does he know about the reward of Christ, the Messiah? How does he know about that reward? The Bible has. He hasn't. He's not had a burning of the bush, burning a bush experience yet. He's not written one single thing. He's had no encounters with God yet. How does he know? He knows so much about it that. He chose to leave the wealthiest 
most powerful country in the world sitting right on top of it all and chose to walk away from it to identify the people in slavery. Why would he do that? Faith, but faith in what? Promises God made to Abraham. To made to Abraham. The promises he made to Abraham. You see, Abraham was given a promise looking forward to the Messiah. And he based his entire life around that promise. Walked away from the pleasures based on that promise. And that promise to Abraham was that Christ, the Messiah, was going to come and reestablish the original relationship that God had with Adam and Eve. The kingdom, subject, king relationship. And he chose to walk away from all that for that very reason. Matthew 24, again, 14. And we'll hang out there and let's see how you do on this. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world. In the whole world. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony. Okay. What does that message look like? What is that message? The gospel of the kingdom. The good news about the kingdom. We understand the good news about Christ. What's the good news about the kingdom? What is it? Everything you just said. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me something about that. For example, if I was standing there, I mean, you know, I want to do this with Pilate. Let's have you do the same thing. So Jesus is there with Pilate. Pilate says, what is this kingdom here? You just said it's not like anything I would know or experience. I have no idea what this kingdom is. What is your kingdom like? That's a good question. Well, how would Jesus answer that? He might say something like, here's the difference between my kingdom and your kingdom. Now, your kingdom, you got your enemies, for example. And what happens when you got your enemies? You grab your, your army and you go kill them and make them your slaves. They either surrender to you and they make them your slaves or anything else. Do you know what my people in my kingdom do? They love their enemies. They do good to their enemies. They pray for their enemies. I would be sitting there going, how does that work? That's not like anything I've ever seen before. That's what how Jesus would answer. Let's see what else Jesus might say. You know, your kingdom is all about, your people are always trying to get it. In fact, look out, look out this window. Pilate, look at, I see your, your, uh, your little car out there, your, what is it? Chariot. Chariot. It's this car. So he's looking out there and he says, I see your chariot. That doesn't look like a normal chariot. You've had that thing really fixed up, dialed up. That's a beauty. In fact, that's the most expensive chariot I've seen. In fact, I, I know what Herod's looks like. And I know when you bought that. Is it, couldn't you just see Jesus doing it? I know when you bought that, you paid a good 300 minus more than you needed to. Because you wanted more of a chariot than Herod did. We don't do that with our cars, do we? We would not want to do that with our cars. No way. And Pilate's sitting there going, how does he know I said that? How does he know I did that? How does he know I was thinking that? He says, but you know the people in my kingdom? They're not concerned with that at all. They could care less about that. Because they're more, what's more important to them is growing my kingdom. And being a partner with me, growing, they don't care about those material things like that. They're interested in growing my kingdom. All right, all right. Your kingdom's looking really different. I'm not, I'm not getting this. This is, this is not like any kingdom I've ever seen. Can't you just see Jesus? I know, I told you so. <laughs> it's not like anything you've ever seen. My kingdom doesn't look like yours. Now, I want you to come up 
was something that Jesus said. It didn't matter what he said. Everything he taught was giving us further instruction about his kingdom. Come up with something that makes that kingdom look so attractive. Because when Jesus is telling them that, you could just see him say, look, you're so worried. You've got to always try to worry outdo somebody. You're always trying to outdo someone. You're trying to look better than them. You want to you make yourself really stand out and shine and everything else? People in my kingdom aren't worried about that. They're only worried about pleasing one person, and that's me. They could care less about all this other stuff. They don't have to be concerned with that stuff. But you do. In fact, you'll cheat and steal and rob to do everything you can to get that chariot and the wealth you have for that chariot. Same thing you will do with killing people. I, my, my people aren't concerned with that because they want to grow my kingdom. Why are they going to go kill them? They want to grow my kingdom. They want, to, they want to love those people, pray for those people, do good to those people. They're their enemies. You see, I want you to do the same thing. You come up with one and turn it around into something that Jesus would say to Pilate. Pilate, your kingdom, my kingdom's like this, yours is like that. Okay, and if you have problems with his, at least come up with one that is like kingdom. I mean, like uh, Christ's kingdom. What do you know about Christ's kingdom? I got one. What do you got? I, you told me about what you're doing, so I got to think about it. Ah! <laughs> but, um, one thing that came to mind was, um, he would say is in John 15, looks at Pilate's kingdom, sees Pilate has all these people under him, all these people, all his servants, all his slaves that do his will. Um, and he has his close, closest friends, closest slaves that know what his, what his will is. But everyone else just follows him because they're submitting. But then Jesus says to his, to his people, I'm just going to read it, um, No longer do I call you servants, because the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called my friends. So then he goes and says, all my servants, all my slaves are no longer just slaves that do not know what my will is. But they know friends. They know what's going on, yeah? Oh, were you scratching, scratching your head? Or? No, yeah, I just thought oh. to add on something okay. to that. You know, Pilate would ask, well, how do I then how do I be a part of your kingdom? And, 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 you know, Jesus would say, well, in your world, to be, you know, people want to be part of the kingdom they're going to have to fight and try and earn their way to be the top guy so they can be up there right next to you how do you get into my kingdom um, foreign spirit be reduced to beggary and realize that you can't be a part of my kingdom but if you admit that you could never be good enough to be a part of my kingdom and you reduce yourself to beggary then you're welcome, and I'll give you my kingdom. Where do you get that from? Matthew 5. 3. Three. Yeah. Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, how do you get the kingdom? You're not fighting for it. You've got to be poor in spirit. you got to be so broken, bankrupt, that you don't have, you know that I can't do anything. Or Pilate, or I'm telling Pilate that to... You know, it's of it's of some worth to be born a Roman citizen because of what Pilate, what the Rome was providing to the world at that time, being the top country. Like Paul was claiming to be Roman citizen, and Jesus could have repeated to him what he told Nicodemus, and saying, "You in your world, you have to be born a Roman citizen. In my world, you need to be born again, and not of this world." Yeah, yeah, and anybody can. That really shot it really good because that fits with what he said in, in Matthew 13. 
My kingdom was like a mustard seed. It's really small, starts small, doesn't look like much of anything. But it starts growing in this big tree. And then birds from all over the world come and land and make their nest in it. Yeah, because he could say, Pilate, only the people born here, just a shadow saying, only those are the only ones that get to dwell in your kingdom. All the rest of them are add-ons. He goes, not so. You see, in my kingdom, some of your Romans are in my kingdom. Some of the Greeks are in my kingdom. Some of the Thessalonians are in my kingdom. You see, he could just start pointing her all around the world. These are in my kingdom. They all come into my kingdom. And now they're favored citizens. You know, the word when he said in Matthew 25, uh, 34, when he said, those blessed come, you were blessed of my father. That word blessed means, that's where we get the word the eulogy from. That's the Greek word eulogio, and it means to absolutely that very thing. My favorite ones. <laughs> my favorite ones. And that's what it is. See, those in his kingdom are his favored ones. What a beautiful position to be in. A favored one of God's? Wow. That's pretty special. What's another one? Come up with something else. I think of First John, if I was standing in front of Pilate, I would tell him something along these lines. This pretty much that his world is passing away in, in John 2.17 the world is passing away and also its lusts but the one who does the will of God lives forever just the idea that this life is a vapor that that you can be the richest man in the world and that will all pass but there's one thing that lasts forever and that is I don't know that's, that's what I would say to somebody like that Absolutely. or to anybody that this is all passing. It's all passing away. It's all going away. It's it's gone. But those in my kingdom don't. They're inheriting the eternal kingdom forever. They're living there forever. That doesn't. That doesn't go away. That's another beautiful thought. What's another one? You might say uh, to Pilate, in, in your kingdom, you have to use force to make people submit to your kingdom. But in my kingdom, people are willing to sell everything they have to come to it. Wow. Voluntarily. Voluntarily. See, that definition of people willingly surrendered. They didn't willingly surrender to Rome, to their kingdom. You either surrendered or got your head cut off. Simple as that. People willingly surrendered. God doesn't have anybody in his kingdom and don't want to be in it. Simple as that. Got another one? What's another one? This beautiful kingdom message. Got another one? I think about how in the world it's just really heavy and dark and um, busyness takes over people are always running and rushing and stressing um, and Matthew 11 28-30 come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls my yoke is easy and my burden is light oh, beautiful you see the, the, his, his yoke is so easy so nice, it's so comfortable, fits so perfectly. Whereas become a kingdom of Pilate, a servant of Pilate, and there was nothing easy about that task. Being a Roman citizen, that was not an easy task to be, to take on. But in, in Christ, it's, it's wonderful, it's easy, because the people there will willingly surrender. They will willingly do whatever is necessary. They'll sell themselves to the their Lord for anything because why Why will they do this? And that's another thing that, that Pilate should have asked. Why would your people do this? 
My people do, can't do it. As Caleb said, i got to beat my people to get them to come along and do what I want them to do. Why would your people do that so simply, so easily, because, and sell what they have? To, why would they do that? What is the answer to that? Because, you know what Jesus would say, Pilate, you didn't die for your people. You didn't die for your people. I did. I'm going to. Yes. <laughs> well, in a short time. That's exactly right. In fact, you're going to help me. <laughs> off, off lines of that. Um, one thing Pilate might ask is, well, why? Why would you do that? Why would you? Ah, good question. And we know in Hebrews it says, um, "For the joy set before me, I endured the cross. For the joy, I suffered the wrath of God for." all these people and then not only that but now the people in my kingdom I'm going to give them my joy the joy that led me to do that for them I'm going to give to them that they may have that their joy may be full ah beautiful what is the joy he was looking forward to that's exactly right it's that intimate partnership that was established way back here that was a plan and he looked forward to it because that was going to become a reality Yes. You see the yeah. Good. Might say, Pilate, you you make everyone in your kingdom pay you, but in my kingdom, I paid the price for everything. Yeah, he paid it. And he could have he could have expanded on that one further with him, and saying, you have a justice system in in your kingdom. And you exercise it, and that's why I'm standing here before you, is because your people and you are exercising justice against me, you think. You know, he could have told Pilate that and said, and that's and that is the right thing to do because there's bad stuff in this world and people have to pay the price for what for the wrongs that they've committed. And he could have turned it around and said, In my kingdom, my people are also are also sinners. They've also done wrong. But if I was to punish them according to what they were wrong, I wouldn't have anybody left in my kingdom. <laughs> he says, and I'm, so I'm going to take the, the punishment for them. I will pay that price for them and extend them forgiveness because they voluntarily want to be here and want to follow me. And so my kingdom is quite different from yours from top to bottom. Top to bottom. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nothing like it in the world. And that's what he told them. There's nothing like it in the world. It's so different. Now... We could keep on going and going and going and going. Now, what I would like you to do, though, we're going to close it off there. Because, see, what we're doing is trying to come up with what is that message of the good news about the kingdom. See, that's what we're doing. You are, you are explaining the good news of the kingdom. And that good news is that from day one, the whole world was all about this relationship with God. And it got broken, horribly so, and it could never, never be fulfilled and happen, except God prepared everything necessary so we could inherit it. So one day, the eternal kingdom, we will have that in, in eternity. That's our eternity, is that relationship. We get to have that and have that fulfilled in its fullness of all that is, and we do it because we want to. Because we want to. There is nothing greater than that in this universe. Is that we get to have that. We can seek after a billion things. But Jesus knows and he says, seek first the kingdom. Everything else will come to you, but seek first 
my kingdom. Seek that relationship more than any other thing, even what you eat, drink, or wear. That's the good news. Because when he came, you know, the, when you remember the, the Christmas story? And he's, the, the shepherds are out in the fields tending their flocks. Jesus has been born in a manger. I just love this story because Jesus, you know, God could have announced, gave a, gave a birth announcement to anyone in the world. And he gave it to these shepherds. You know, shepherds didn't even get to go to the to, to any of the services. You know, for us, it'd be like they could never go to church. There they couldn't go to the synagogue. They had to take care of the sheep all the time. And God sends his angels, appears to them, and gives them the birth announcement. These lowly shepherds out there. And he says, and they say, I bring you good news of great joy. Because see, the good news was the baby was born in a manger. Because now all of this can come true. Because that baby's born in a manger. And the kingdom can be realized and come to its fullness. And you can experience it because that baby's born in a manger. Good news with great joy, as you said. And so I, I really want to urge you, when you read through the Bible, to put yourself standing there in front of Pilate and going and looking at it going, what's this kingdom like? What's the kingdom of God like? I want to learn more about that kingdom so I can take that good news of the kingdom of God to all the world. Now, last little part of it, and we're finished up here. What's your purpose in life? We've been reading all, learning all about it. What's your purpose in life? What's the purpose? To everything I can get the kingdom. There. Hey, Micah, beautiful. <laughs> Seek first the kingdom and help others do the same. You want to you wanna extend that purpose out, give more purpose to that purpose? Matthew 24, 14, for the last thing. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world, the testimony to all nations. And then what's it say? And then the end will come. When's Christ coming back? Not till the gospel of the kingdom goes into all the world. How long has he been waiting for that to take place? Wow. By Jesus' own words. He's already told us when he's coming back. He's not coming back till the gospel of the kingdom. We preach a gospel and don't put the kingdom in it. And God tells us, I want the kingdom in it. The kingdom's got to be a part of that message. That's what makes the purpose of Christ's suffering so important. It gives us that relationship. It restores it and gives it. That was his purpose all along. And that's the message I want to go into all the world so people will willingly surrender to me, to my reign, and actively participate in an intimate partnership with me. And you know what he says right there? And when we do that, the end will come. You know, if we were to throw up a tent and tell everybody we're going to preach all about the end times, we'd fill it. Just like that. Because people are really interested in the end times. But you know what the gospel is all about? It's the fulfillment of the plan of God. <laughs> We think of the end times as all this prophecy and everything else. Oh, my goodness. The end times 
is the fulfillment of the plan of God that he's had since day one. That's what the end times are all about. Fulfilling everything that God had set up. It's all about that. That's the good news is that he's going to do this. That's what he's going to do. And we got a choice. Be a part of it or not. And if we're going to be a part of it, then we're going to be a part of sharing it, telling people about the kingdom message. Or we're not. We, we left last week, and we'll close out with this. We closed out last week with looking at our Luke 19 passage about the parable. Four different people in that parable. One took ten minas, recreated, got ten more minas, growing the kingdom of God with his money. Second one made five more, growing the kingdom of God. Both of them are commended greatly by Christ. The third one did nothing. God gave him money to go do it, and he did nothing with it. Did nothing with it. Didn't help grow the kingdom. And what happened to that person? Whatever he had was taken away, and he was chastised greatly. And if you take the parallel passage to that, that Luke 19 passage, Matthew 25, looks like the same parable. And that one, that third person is cast into outer darkness. He wasn't even a Christian. Fourth person, fourth representative in that, in that parable, are those who would not do what? They would not surrender to that reign of God. They said, literally, I'm not surrendering to him. So two of those people, man, got just great rewards. Two of those people got nothing. And then Jesus even says, take bring that person in front of me and slay him right in front of me. It's all about the kingdom of God. And the crucifixion is about the kingdom of God, bringing us back into harmony with God. Don't ever forget that. That's what he was doing. He didn't save us to go run around and do your own thing. To bring us into harmony with God into his kingdom rule and have that intimate partnership. So next time you read your Bible, be looking at that beautiful kingdom of what God is doing and what that beautiful kingdom looks like. Because the more you know about it, then the greater the story is you can go take to the world and the good news of what God is doing with his kingdom.